It's awesome to be here. Greetings from the free state of Florida. I'm always glad to be with brothers and sisters in Missouri. And I'm especially glad because my sons have been living here for the last five years. They both play football at Southwest Baptist University. They're going to graduate uh, this December, Lord willing, fingers crossed, prayers up. And they have been attending here, and this church has been such a blessing to my sons. Pastor Eddie's preaching and the young adult ministry has been so powerful in their lives, helping them learn to walk with Jesus as young men. And you know how it is when someone does something great for your kids. Oh, that just builds loyalty and love like you can't believe. And that's how I feel about High Street Church. And Pastor Eddie and Miss Cindy have been so gracious to my wife Kristen and to me. And I'm so impressed with Pastor Logan, Pastor Jarrett, with your worship team, with Kyle and, and Piper and Jake. I mean, this team is incredible. And I know that when you attend the church every Sunday, uh, you get used to everything. But I want you to know, I want to remind you, this is a special church with a special pastor and a special team of leaders that's here in this special city for a special moment. And you are privileged and honored by God to get to be a part of it in this time. How many of you guys have been members of this church or been attending this church longer than five years? Would you raise your hand? Longer than five years, okay? A bunch of you guys. How many of you guys have been attending this church longer than 10 years? Would you raise your hand? Okay, still the majority. How many of you guys have been members or attending this church for longer than 20 years? Would you raise your hand? That is a majority of the room. How many of you have been in this church longer than 30 years? Would you raise your hand? Okay, all right, now we're about, got down to about a third right there, okay? So I think 30 years is your cutoff, Pastor Eddie. So I want to ask you this question. Have you guys who've been here a long time, have you noticed that a lot of changes have happened in this church in the last 30 years? Has anybody noticed that? Has that gone over your head? Has that passed you by? I bet you that when some of these changes have taken place, there have been some people, a few in the church, who have said, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. True or false? Yeah, I pastor in my church in West Palm Beach. It is a downtown First Baptist, steeples and columns, Baptisty, Baptisty, Baptisty church that was planted in 1901. It was formerly called the First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach, Florida. And over the last several years, we've changed our name to Family Church. We've changed our music. Our platform looks a lot like this one. And there are people who would say, I kind of liked it better when Brother So-and-so was here, and we had this type of choir, we had this type of music. And I actually understand that because I grew up in very conservative, independent Baptist bus route children's church churches. I was saved in the cafeteria of Cooper City High School when I was six years old and a bunch of preacher boys who were extension students of Jack Howell's school uh, were running uh, a children's church and they led me to Jesus Christ when I was six years old in the cafeteria of a public high school that they had rented to do it. I arrived at that cafeteria on a bus that my dad drove on the bus route. And I want you to know that I'm so grateful for the roots that I have and I'm so grateful for the men and women that poured into my life. But I'm also so grateful 
that God has allowed us to be good missionaries to our own culture, in our own city, in our own day, just like you are. I was at this young adult conference, guys. This young adult conference was on fire. You would be so proud of your church. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young adults, 30 years old and under, filled this auditorium all weekend long. And you guys allowed them to do it and funded it so that it could happen. Incredible. And I also want you to know that that's the right thing for churches to do. So this morning, I want to have a Bible study. So once you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Grab the Bible from the pew in front of you. Open it up on your device, whatever you're going to do. And turn to the book of Colossians in the middle of the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. And I just want to talk about four verses of Scripture. I want to talk this morning about family and parenting. Now, some of you guys have been parents a lot longer than I am. How many of you guys have kids? Would you raise your hands if you have kids? How many of you guys have problems? Would you raise your hands? Because if you have kids, you have problems. And listen... You know how in the Bible it says, uh, the, in the curse, uh, God uh, told Eve and Adam, he said, listen, uh, from now on because of sin, uh, childbearing is going to be painful. Now some of you ladies, you can remember when you birthed your children, and it was painful. I know that it was. My wife and I have been married for 29 years. We have eight children. In fact, I got a picture of my children. We got our picture up. We can put that up there. I've got a picture of my children right there. There's our eight children, our three daughters-in-law. There's our four grandchildren, three of them that are out of the womb. One is in the womb in the picture, about to be born any day. And so uh, if you have children, you have problems. I was in the room when Kristen birthed all eight of those children. People ask us from time to time how many of the kids were adopted. None of them. They all came one at a time right there. People asked us, uh, people asked us uh, how many of them are twins? They came one at a time. How many of them were adopted? They're all homemade. So those are all of our biological children and their spouses and their, their children, our grandchildren. And so I want you to know that I was watching Kristen birth those children. And it did indeed look like what God said was true, that the childbearing was painful. But I'll tell you what I've learned is my children have become adults. If you have adult children, let me ask you this. Has the pain stopped yet? No. In fact, the temporary physical pain of the childbirthing process is serious, but it pales in comparison to the lifelong difficulty, challenge, and sometimes painful experiences of raising children and coaching and guiding adult children. That's what I've experienced. And St. Paul knew that this was so important. So he wrote about it when he wrote this letter to the neighborhood church in the city of Colossae back in the first century. He wrote this letter, and the, the point of the letter is that St. Paul was trying to teach believers in Jesus to put Jesus at the center of their lives. Because when Jesus is at the center of our lives, things tend to fall into place. When Jesus is not at the center of our lives, things tend to fall apart. And St. Paul was trying to teach us to put Jesus at the center of every aspect of our lives. And one of the things that's at the center of our lives is our families, our marriages, and, and our children, regardless of how old they are. And St. Paul writes about that because it's so important. Now, I know that not everyone has children. Uh, in this church, there are a lot of college students. Uh, some of you are married and you don't have children for whatever reason. Some of you are single. We don't think that married people are better than single people. We don't think that people with children are more godly than people without children. But most people in our society are either married or they have been married or they will be married. Uh, most people in our society have children or they will have children. And the fact is that this is central to our lives and to our churches and to our society. So let's read from Colossians chapter 3 and see what God's Word said. Here's what God's Word says. Verse, let's start in verse 12. I just want to read verse 12 and 13, then we'll read verse 20 and 21. Verse 12, here's what it says. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pause right there and let's talk about family life for a second because in this section, Paul's letter, letter describes what our posture needs to be like towards one another in our families. And what is the posture? Compassionate hearts, kindness towards one another, humility towards one another, meekness towards one another, patience towards one another because family can be tough stuff. Uh, some of you guys have been married uh, 20 years or 30 years. Or I bet in this room, there's how many, is there anybody in this room who's been married 50 years or more? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, a bunch. So you guys know all about marriage, a lot more than I do. But can you guys agree that marriage, regardless of how good it is, still has its ups and downs? You guys agree with that, right? Because you've been doing it. You don't have, if you're sitting next to your spouse, you don't have to nod. I'm far away from my spouse. So ours does not, honey. Ours is just, whoop, just like that. So, so look. Let's just pause right here and say when it comes to our families, our kids, our adult kids, our grandkids, our marriages, all of us are a little bit dysfunctional. You do understand that, right? All of the, in fact, it's so important to acknowledge that. Let's just all say that out loud together at High Street. Are you ready? And on the count of three, I want us all to say out loud, I'm dysfunctional. Are you ready? One, two, three, I'm dysfunctional. Now, some of you wouldn't say it. You're offended because you're like, how is this guy from Florida trying to tell me that I'm dysfunctional. And if you can't admit that you're dysfunctional, you're just showing the people seated around you how dysfunctional you actually are because you can't even admit it. All of us are. You know why we're dysfunctional? Because all of us are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So my wife is awesome. I, I, I fell in love with her when I was 19 years old and she was just 17. You know what I mean. And I fell in love with her and we have been in love ever since. And now I'm in my 50s. She's, she's still very, very the right age she's supposed to be. And my wife and I have all these kids. But I'm going to tell you what happened. When I was in my young 20s, I got married to her. And here's what happened. A young single man sinner got married to a young single woman sinner. And then we got together and we made a bunch of little sinners and all of us sat around sinning all over each other for the last, you know, 30 years. Because that's what it is to live life in a family because all of us are a little dysfunctional because of sin. And what I would like to do, because I know some of you have grown children and I know some of you, your grown children have broken your heart because of the choices that they've made, the things that they've said, the things that they believe. You desperately wish God would bring your children back to God or back to you. And one of the hard things is in a church like this, it's hard to even talk about it because if the other people in the church really knew some of the things that have been said and done with our children, we're afraid the other people in the church would judge us and push us down and push us out. And we would rather them not know, so we keep it private. You know what's a better way to do it? It's better if people in a church will just draw a big old no judgment parenting circle in the church 
and then everybody just get inside it and just agree. I'm not going to judge you and you're not going to judge me. We're going to pull each other in and lift each other up and lift our kids up and fight for our kids before the throne of grace because it's just hard living in a sinful, broken world. And sometimes the sinful, broken world infects and captures the hearts and minds and behaviors of our own children, even though we would love for it to be different. And it's just hard because you can't even admit it in church because you're afraid of what people might think. You know, when you have little kids, it's easy to be secretly judgmental of other people. When you have little kids and you can be in total control of them, you look at other people and their teenagers are out of control and their college kids are out of control and it's easy to look at them and go, you know, if they would just follow the Bible and they would just, you know, spank their kids better and if they would just, you know, bring some discipline to bear, those kids wouldn't act like that until your kids get older. And then you're like, oh, I see what's going on now. And that's when you need that no judgment parenting circle. And sometimes you have grandchildren or grown children and they're breaking your heart, and you need to be able to share what is going on so that other people can pray with you and help you and comfort you and encourage you. That's why St. Paul says in a church family, it's so vital that we have compassionate hearts and humility and love before one another because it's hard stuff. Skip down to verse 20, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Then he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Let me read that again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I don't know if you're a note-taking church, but if you want to write a few things down, I've got three thoughts I'd encourage you to write down as we go through this little text right here, and here's what they are. God's design for family and parenting. Number one, parenting is for training. Parenting is for training. I want to look what this text of Scripture says here. Verse 20 is actually addressed to children. You can see that. So let's start where the text starts. Right here in this short little verse, you see a whole lot about God's design because children are addressed as responsible persons in the home and in the church family. Now, how many of you guys take joy in the fact that this church in just another hour or so is going to be overrun with little children running around this building? You guys like that there's little children in here, or do you guys wish they would all just stay home? What do you think? I mean, you want a church full of children because a church with no children is a dead church. A church with no young families is a dying church. A church with no, no teenagers is a dying church you got to be a church for every generation, but part of being every generation is you have senior adults, but you also have young adults and young people and children and teenagers, and any church that fails to reach new generations is a church that is failing to be good missionaries to their own city and their own culture and their own time. Praise God that this church is not a dead church. This is a living church full of young adults, young people, and young children. Praise God for that. This command that children should learn to obey. Do you know what young people and young parents are dying for right now? Most young people, people in their 20s, people in their teens, they all have father wounds. You know what I mean by that? All, a lot of them have very poor models from their mom or their dad. A lot of them grew up in single-parent homes. A lot of them grew up 
in dysfunctional homes with drug abuse and alcohol abuse, and now they're trying to come to church because they're looking for something. And they need a church that's going to have some people that are a little bit older than them come around them and love them and encourage them and help them and teach them how to do what the Scripture's saying. They, they want their children to obey. They don't know how to teach their children to obey. That they want their children to obey. They don't know. The fathers want to relate to their children well, but they don't know how to relate to their children well. So when you don't know how to do something and you get under the pressure of living in a sinful world with a sinful family life and sinners sinning on each other, when the pressure comes, fathers revert to what they learned when they were little, the way they were treated. And what they need is a church family to come around them and show them the gospel, show them God's design for parenting. That's what this church is equipped to do. That's what you were equipped to do. This command to children is binding as long as the children are living in the home. When the child is no longer requiring the financial and other physical support from the parents, then I think it changes a little bit. I no longer think the child has to obey their mom and dad. Now they need to honor their father and their mother. So, for instance, I'm, I'm 52. 52. I know you're like, you look a lot older. Okay, but I, I'm 52. All right, I'm 52, and my mother and father moved in a couple of years ago around the block from us. And I love that my parents now go to my church. They live around the block. We never lived in the same city with my parents before, but now we do. I love it. But if I go to my mother's house, which I go to her house a couple times a week, sometimes she makes me some food or something, and I go over there, and my mom says, now, Jimmy, it's time for you to eat your broccoli. I'm 52. I'm not going to eat the broccoli. She knows I don't like broccoli. When I was a little kid, she used to make me eat the broccoli. I will eat it if I come to your house and you fix it, and I'll act like I like it, but I really don't. But she knows I don't like it, and if she makes it, I'm not going to eat it because I'm 52 and I don't have to. If we get, if I'm over at her house and it gets to be about 1030 at night, and she says, now, Jimmy, it's time for you to go to bed. She can't tell me to go to bed anymore. I'm 52. I'll go to bed when I'm good and well ready, which usually is before 1030 because I'm that guy. Because I don't have to obey my mother, but I do have to honor my mother. But Christians have to teach young people how to honor their parents. And in a city like this, with the problems that this city has, They have to be taught how to honor their parents in an appropriate way, even when their parents often aren't being very godly towards them. But that's what a church can do. And why should children obey their parents? Children should obey their parents, not because their parents ask nicely or their parents always set a good example or their parents are super godly. Children should obey their parents because when they do so, it pleases the Lord. So when children obey their mom and dad, they are pleasing God. That is the primary reason why children should obey their parents. I'm not talking about when parents tell children to do things that are unlawful or immoral or harmful. I'm not talking about abusive parents. I'm talking about when parents make reasonable requests of their children. Children should obey their mom and their dad, not because their mom and dad are perfect, but because it pleases the Lord. And none of us mom and dads are perfect. And what we need, we've got to have good theology And one of the reasons that your kids and your grandkids have disappointed you, and one of the reasons that you're so freaked out about it from time to time is because our theology isn't right. Our theology has to be right. What happens is we know that our kids are sinners because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, Kristen and I 
have this grandson. His name is James. It's James Harris Scroggins V, named after his, James Harris Scroggins VI, named after his dad, who is the fifth, named after me, who is the fourth, after my dad, who is the third, and you see how this goes. And so all of us happen to have our oldest son of the oldest son is a boy, and so we just keep it going. And everyone feels tremendous pressure to keep this thing going. But we have to this point. It's off of my hands. I can't do anything. My son's now passed it to his son. He's got to deal with it. But our little boy, he's 18 months old. He comes to our house. He's sitting there with his mother. His mother's trying to teach him how to eat mashed potatoes on the high chair. Have you guys ever watched a kid on the high chair? So today's mom and dad have invented mashed potato bowls with a suction cup on the bottom. And it sticks to the tray so that the kid cannot easily throw the bowl off of the high chair. But our grandson has circumvented that, and he just sticks his hand down in the mashed potatoes. And he gifts the mashed potatoes up, and he holds them up like this. And his mom, our daughter-in-law, good mom, loves Jesus. She says, James, no, no. And you know what he did. He said, no, no, mommy. And he spiked them on the floor. Now, why would our beautiful, perfect grandson disobey his mother and throw his mashed potatoes on the floor? Because as beautiful as he is, he's a sinner, and he sins, and he's just begun to sin by disobeying his mom. But if his mother doesn't teach him to obey her, one day, he will do an age-appropriate version of throwing his mashed potatoes on the floor, but the stakes will be a lot higher and a lot more damage can be done, which is why she needs to teach him to obey with the mashed potatoes. Because when he learns to obey his mother and father, he's actually learning to obey God. When he learns to please his mother, he's learning to please God. And what we want to do is form his little heart so that when he's old enough to make his own decision, he can turn away from his sins and turn to Christ, crucified on the cross for his sins and raised from the dead, and he can be saved from his sins. So it's vital that churches like this teach parents like our daughter-in-law to teach their children to obey. We've got to have a good theology about it. But the key is that when our kids sin, those sins can be forgiven. All sins can be forgiven. You say, well, of course you can forgive somebody for throwing mashed potatoes on the floor. It's no big deal. Yeah, but the stakes get higher, and the sins get worse and more painful. And when the most painful things happen and the more difficult things happen, that's when we need to keep our theology straight, that even the worst sins that our children or our grandchildren or our spouses have committed have been nailed to the cross if they're believers in Jesus. And if they're not believers in Jesus, they can become believers in Jesus if they want to. And Jesus is inviting every sinner to have every sin forgiven because it is nailed to the cross of Christ. And Christ has been raised from the dead so that we can be saved, forgiven, and justified from our sins. And that should be the greatest encouragement to parents of all. Which brings me to number two, parenting is for encouragement. Parenting is for training, yes, but parenting is for encouragement. Remember what St. Paul said in verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now, I'm a dad. I have six sons and two daughters. You guys know a lot about preacher's kids, don't you? Some of you are preacher's kids. My kids are not immune 
from anything that anyone else has ever done. I have beautiful children. If you met them, you would be impressed by them. You would think they were great. But every one of them has their own struggles, their own things they're great with and their own struggles. My kids are what I call bucking broncos. My kids have gotten in fights. My kids have done a lot of things they shouldn't have done. My wife and I have cried puddles in the floor crying out to God that he'd bring our prodigals home. And to this point, he has. My kids... When they were in school, they're the only kids I've ever heard of that have been suspended from homeschool multiple times. So what does it mean, fathers, don't provoke your children? You know, fathers have a particular ability to discourage and provoke our children. There's something about a dad, because we often have a temper, we're usually the biggest and strongest one in the home, at least for a while, till the boys grow up, we... We use our superior physical size and strength and the force of our personality to get our way, and we try to impose our will. Even when we're trying to do the right thing, sometimes we do it in the wrong way, and it provokes our kids. But our kids don't need to be provoked. They need to be encouraged. There's not one of us. Listen, all of the children, I bet there's hundreds of children and grandchildren represented in this room if you counted them all up, Pastor Eddie. The children and the grandchildren that we all have in just in this room, not one of them suffers from too much encouragement. Not one of our kids or grandkids is going around going, I have been over-encouraged in my life. And the one who needs to encourage them the most, dads, is you. You say, yeah, my son's older than you, boy. My son, you're 52. My son's older than that. Okay, I guarantee you, your 60-year-old son needs you to encourage him. Your 50-year-old daughter needs you to encourage him. Your three-year-old great-granddaughter needs you to encourage him. You should do it. I have a pastor friend who was teaching a Bible study. At the end of his talk, a lady came up and whispered, my daughter's become an atheist. I need you to pray for her. And my friend said, okay, why are we whispering right now? She said, I don't want the other ladies in my Sunday school class to know about it. They'll talk. They'll judge me. They'll judge her. Somehow the lady figured out that the other people in her own church were not inside the no judgment parenting circle, and she was afraid to share her prayer requests with people in her own church. Let's not be a church like that. Let's be a grace church. Let's be a no judgment parenting circle. Yeah, we're going to take sin seriously. We're not glossing over sin. We're going to take sin seriously and call it what it is. But let's love each other and encourage each other and encourage our kids and encourage our grandkids. We've got to be a church like that. Let's do something. If we realize that the way that we talk, our nonverbals, our harsh attitudes, our personal feelings of embarrassment because of the political or social or religious choices of our kids embarrass us, let's not build discouragement into our kids. Let's tear those things down and let's build new pillars of encouragement with our children. Let's make our homes and our relationships and our words and our hugs, let's make them platforms of encouragement for our kids and our grandkids. Let's make our homes and our church a place where kids and grandkids can come and be encouraged and not discouraged. Because when we pull people in and lift them up, we show them how God does it. When we discourage them, we're not showing them how God is. When we love people and encourage people, we're showing people how God is. When we discourage people and push them away, we're showing them how the devil is. Let's make them see how God is. Last thing, number three on your notes, parenting is for life. 
Hey, I don't know where you are in your parenting or your grandparenting or your great-grandparenting, and I know a lot of you are SEAL Team 6 Special Forces Christians. You've been reading the Bible and learning the songs and studying God and serving the churches since way, way, way before I was born. Some of you probably feel a little bit bad because of what's happened with your kids or your grandkids, and you might feel like, Jimmy, that's fine. I hope these young people listen because it's too late for me. Maybe you feel like you should have taught your kids in a different way about God, or maybe you should feel like you should have been a better dad or a different kind of mom, and maybe some of that's true. Some of you have your own father wounds that you've never been able to get over, and you cannot change the past. You realize that God doesn't even change the past. You cannot change your past. God doesn't even change your past. What God does is forgives and redeems your past. And being a parent is not a sprint, it is a marathon. And if your children are alive or your grandchildren are alive, you are alive, you can still influence and encourage them. It's not too late. Let me show you my grandkids. I think I got a picture of my grandkids. Can we show them that? See, I'm that guy. Y'all have to show it to me on your phone or in your wallet. I got a platform and a screen. There's my grandchildren. One more gonna be born any day. Look at these little babies. I mean, when I look at these little babies, I just think of all of the possibilities, Pastor Eddie, of where they could go or what they could do or who they could marry or what job they can do or how God could use them. But I also think of this old world and how painful and challenging and difficult it is. And I know the things that await them in life that are going to hurt them and harm them and wound them. I would do anything to protect them. I would do anything to, to guard them. But I know I'm not going to be able to do it the way that I want. But i tell you what I can do. I can encourage them. I can teach them that God forgives easily and restores quickly. Because if I'll teach them that God forgives them and restores quickly, it's easier for them to believe that God forgives easily and restores quickly. So if I can model that in my own home and in our own relationship with them, it can maybe help them believe that that's how God is. And if you are in a situation where you feel like your kids or your grandkids are so broken you can't even bear it, that's what's great about having a church family, and your church family should be part of that conversation in your life, not just to provide resources, but friendship and a, and a circle of non-judgment and trust. And to help you remember every time you come to church and sing these songs like Victory in Jesus, that Jesus has been crucified on the cross for your sins and your spouse's sins and your kids' sins and their spouse's sins and your grandkids' sins and their spouse's sins and your great-grandkids' sins. Christ has been crucified on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead, and anyone can be forgiven. And so if you have drifted away from that belief, I want to call you back to it. If you have given up on your relationship with your kid or feel like it's too late, I want to invite you to get back in the ring. Stay in the ring. Fight for your people. Fight for the relationship. Do what it takes. Make the phone call. Try again. Pray more. Don't give up. God is a good God. God restores the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. It's never too late. Because you know what your kids really need? Your kids need what you need and what I need and what every person in the world needs. What your kids and your grandkids need, what the kids in this community need, Pastor Eddie, is they need a place that shows them that they can have a home for their hearts. So my wife, she loves kids. That's why we had all those kids. Believe me, she would have had more. A few years ago, my wife heard about 
three kids in the foster system in Florida that were siblings, and they were a handful, and they'd been through a lot, and no one would take all three of them because they were too tough, and they were going to split them up and send them around the state. And a lady said, Kristen, would you pray for these kids that somehow some home would open up for these kids so they could stay together? And my wife said, okay, we don't really need to pray. I'll just tell Jimmy we'll take them. She came home and started explaining to me, and I said, yeah, we need to pray for those kids. She said, oh, we don't need to pray for them. We're going to go get them. Okay. So together we decided to do that. We went and got the kids, brought them home. They were tough. We had seven kids still at home at that time, plus these three foster kids. It was wild. They were 10, 7, 3. A little seven-year-old boy, just a little kid, South American kid, and He's little, you know, and uh, I came home from work one day, and what he would do, he felt so bad because of all the trauma that he'd been through, he would throw himself on the ground and throw these fits and say all these horrible things about himself, how he wishes he was dead and all this kind of stuff. And he was out in the backyard just throwing one of these fits, and I came home from work, and Kristen said, hey, you got to go outside and try to help him. So I go outside. I'm not a trained psychologist. I don't know what to do. I go out there and pick him up. I'm way bigger than he is. And he's fighting and crying. And I just took him and I just put him on my knee. And he was pushing away from me. And I just grabbed him and just held him. That's all I knew to do. And he started just crying. And finally, he sort of gave in and put his head right there on my shoulder. And he was just crying. Seven-year-old boy, snotty tears, soaking my shirt. And he was saying, I want to die. I wish I was dead. And I just held him. And then he says, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And he says, I don't have a home. Nobody wants me. I don't have anywhere to go. I want to go home. But I don't have a home. God did give him a home. And he has a forever family now, not with us, but another family in our church. But I want you to know, I'll never forget that day because the heart cry of that little orphan boy who'd been abused and traumatized is the heart cry of every young person in this city and every young person in this church and every young person represented in our families. They want a home. They need a home and they need a home for their hearts and Christ has created a way for them to have a home for their hearts. And we, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, as a church, have to be committed to helping kids find a home for their hearts. Would you pray with me?